This is Camel Call live from the County Seat Sports Grill in downtown Lillington. I'm Chris Amire alongside Campbell head football coach Mike Minter. Tonight, in addition to head coach Minter, we've got assistant head coach and special teams coordinator Stephen Williams. He's here, and in the second half hour of our show, Associate Athletics Director for Communications, Stan Cole, will be here to talk about his new podcast from Tales from the Creek, which dives into the rich history of Campbell Athletics. At 20th ranked, William and Mary Campbell suffered their first loss of the season. But, Coach, we talked about this after the game, and we talked about it a little bit before this show. This was a three-point game against the 20th-ranked team in the country midway through the third quarter. Along with that, what other positives did you take from that game on Saturday? Well, I think um, one of the things that I looked at was we were very tough, Chris, throughout the whole game and um, gave ourselves opportunities in the fourth quarter, um, you know, with ten minutes – six minutes to go in the game, um, two times in the red zone. And, um, you know, we got to come away with touchdowns in the red zone. And, and we, it's a different conversation we have in the day. Um, you got to give William and Mary credit for what they did. Um, they stood up and they made the, the plays that they had to make. And, and um, But great football team, man. It was great, great competition. And it's, it's, it's only going to make us better because we get to see a playoff football team in September and, and October. Yeah, we talked about this uh, last week on the show, the fact that this is a measuring stick not only for this year but next year. Look, this is a team that's picked to finish fourth in the CAA. They got a couple of first-place votes. As you said, this is a team that's going to make the playoffs because the CAA is a four-team, five-team, even six-team uh, league as far as the bids go. When you look overall, I thought you guys belonged out there on the field. There wasn't anything that looked different on that side than this side. Do you agree? Oh, I agree with that. I mean, I, I really thought in the fourth quarter, uh, we started to take advantage and take, um, you know, the situation up front, we started to win. We started pushing them around. Um, and so you saw the strength and conditioning um, take over in the fourth quarter. Again, we just had to execute. We was there. We had opportunities to, to make the plays happen, and, and um, we couldn't punch it in for touchdowns down there. And, and that's the difference in the ball game um, as far as the fourth quarter is concerned. And um, you got to give them credit again. They, they made the plays. Um, number one, they had. They gave them a reverse. Um, they gave them a, a option trick play, and, and both times he was able to score – uh, with those opportunities, and and um, and then they got a pick six um, that really separated the game right there. So, uh, again, our guys learn from this. Um, they understand that what it takes to beat playoff football teams, you got to be tough, but you also got to be smart. And um, that's what we're missing right now as a football team is is playing smart football for four quarters. I thought it was a sign of respect that they are a team that ran for 300 yards the, the, the week before against an FBS team, and they came out and started going to the tight end, something I know I didn't expect uh, from what they did last week, but that was sort of their game plan early. They didn't want to try to do what they did last week against you. No, they didn't. What they wanted to do is slow down our safeties and because our safeties – we're playing such a great game against um, Citadel 
they wanted to slow him down. So how do you slow him down? Well, you do trick plays and you, you know, um, wide delay, act like you're blocking, and then he goes out for a pass. Um, and so they hit us with a couple of those early on because our safety was being so aggressive in the first quarter. And they knew that. And that's why they came out with so many different misdirection, flea flicker type two quarterbacks in the game. Um, you know, and, and it worked for them because they got 17 points out of it. And um, now we're looking up and it's 17-0. And, and we had to compose ourselves to be able to win the middle 10, which is the middle 10, the last five minutes of the first half and the first five minutes of the second half, we was able to come back and now it's 17-14 um, in the third quarter. And, and um, you know, it's third and 18 and they called a holding call to a receiver that had nothing yep. to do with the play. Yep. And that turned the momentum of the, of the game because they was able to go down and score and, um, you know, get some separation right there. And, and, but, but again, Chris, man, we, we excited about what we have, what we can build on, and, um, you know, we got a, a big-time opponent coming this weekend. That touchdown pass to Julian Hill at the end of the of the first half, I really thought was was a game changer. There, he was outstanding. Seven catches, ninety five yards, and a, and a TD. A breakout game for a player that has played so solid and and everything like that. What did you think about his performance? Well, he he has prepared himself for them situations, and, you know, um, in the summer and spring ball. This guy has trained himself for that moment. And, you know, he got a chance to shine. Um, they, they were putting their linebacker on him all game, and, and he was able to um, take advantage of that. And, and that's the mis mismatch that Julian Hill can bring to our football team. And so um, great game by him, great game in the, in the blocking, um, in the run game. Um, he was really dominating um, their big-time you know, Lyman, number 99, Lynn, he's a guy that, that made plays every week, and he had no sacks, he had no tackles. Um, it was like the guy went out there, and, and a lot has to do with Julian Hill being in the run game. Yeah, that was a first-team all-CAA defensive end that, that he shut down. That leads me into my next question. I'm glad you saw it. You know, blocking from the tight end is something the fans don't see a lot, the announcers don't see a lot. It's hard to point out. But when he ran over that dude and Hodge got into the end zone for the second touchdown, I like that that was on there because everybody saw, hey, look, Julian Hill, he does that every single time there's a running play. Talk about his blocking. I, I, I and you think that that is what's going to really get him into the NFL. Well, it definitely going to get him an opportunity, Chris, to play in the National Football League because they need guys that can run, uh, block, and they also need guys who can – have mismatches in the passing game. And so, um, you know, when you look at those guys, you, you get excited about a Julian Hill. He's 6'4", he's 255, and he's mean, and he's tough, and he's smart. And, and so all those things is what the National Football League is looking for in a tight end. Um, he's going to bring that lunch pail, and he's going to work every single day to get better. Um, you know, he, he's really one of the most complete professional college players I've ever seen. He comes to work every day like he's a professional, like he's getting paid for this. 
Um, and that's the mindset you got to have. Yeah, we invited him to the show tonight, but he said, hey, it's a late practice. I don't think I'm going to get there because, you know, he's going back into the film room afterwards. And I said, Julian, you keep doing what you're doing. If you ever have a Monday where you can come, you can come. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll go back to his quarterback, uh, Haj Malik Williams. You know, f- on the ground, two TDs. He gained a total of 111 yards, of course, with a couple of sacks. And he was sacked four times and, and hurried a lot. He did, he had under 195 uh, uh, officially uh, three interceptions, sacked four times. You know, uh, what did you think about about your quarterback's play in that game? Well, it's not good enough. He knows that. And, and, and um, we, we got to have him throwing the ball. We don't need him running around. Um, you know, it's just tough for a quarterback um, to try to beat another team with his legs. And so um, you, you got to be able to complete passes. Um, but also our receivers got to, you know, get some separation we didn't we didn't quite get separation like we wanted to in the receiver um, room and and so it's a it's a combination you're getting pressured and then you you know your receivers are in the timing is off and you're throwing interceptions all of a sudden man that started to make you uh, think about it a little bit and so he knows what he got to do that's the one thing I love about number six Um, he's going to learn from his mistakes and um, he, he will not have a Another game like that. When you go to the defense side of thing, I, I, I thought your defense um, played well at critical points in the game. They really gave y- your team a, a, a chance to win. Well, what did you think about the defensive performance against an offense that was really one of the more, more creative offenses I've ever seen at the FCS level? <laughs> it's the most creative <laughs> offense I've ever seen yeah. since, I guess, when Pittsburgh had Slash, yeah, Cordell yeah. Stewart, and um, – they used to do them type of things, put two quarterbacks in, throw yep. the ball, reverse, and all that stuff. And, and um, so they do a really good job of really integrating all their pieces on offense. And, and the defense had their work cut out for them because they could run the football. And if you're doing all that crazy stuff and can run the football, it makes it very, very difficult for your defense. But I, I thought they played hard. Um, and, and, again, man, they held them 17 points in the first half and made some adjustments, and they only have 14 points in the second half. Um, and, and so that's the second week in a row yep. that our defense have gotten better um, in the second half than they did in the first half. And they didn't have many yards, um, you know, throwing, um, I think a under you know, maybe 130, 40-something yards. Um, so, you know, the, the defense just got to continue to try to get people behind the sticks and get them in the third and long situations so we can get Brevin and Josh and all those guys pressing the quarterback uh, because, you know, that's money down, and we are in control in that situation. But we must stop first down success rates and second down success rates so people are not in third and short situations. I thought one of your guys up front that, that had a good game and a guy that doesn't get a lot of headlines, but Gabe Holmes, he has been in this program since 2016. He might have a, a grandchild going to uh, going to Campbell pretty soon. He started as an offensive lineman. Um, as you'll remember, he had injuries after injuries after injuries. He is finally healthy and showing what to do. He, he has had 10 tackles, and that, that, that's got to make you smile when you see a guy like that getting so high up on the statue. It really is. I mean, Gabe had a heck of a game um, playing inside, playing against that stretch and really making a lot of plays in the run game. Um, And so, like you said, Chris, been through a lot, 
a lot of injuries, but he stuck it out. Probably had one of the best off-season training. Um, the guy was bought into everything, and it's so great to see people like that when they put in that hard work to be able to um, have the opportunity to have success on the football field. A lot more to talk about here tonight on Camel Call Live. Uh, assistant coach and our special teams coordinator, Stephen Williams, is here. We'll talk about him and his second straight week of having a Big South Conference Player of the Week. Plus, we'll look ahead to East Carolina and Stan Cole coming up in the next half hour. This is Camel Call Live from downtown Lillington at the County Seat. But biting into your McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich and ending up with a whole pickle slice dangling from your mouth isn't impolite. It's human. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Hi, Campbell fans. I'm Christy Yarbrough with Remax United. Thinking about buying or selling or know someone who is? Let me help you make the right moves. It's important to work with the right agent with local knowledge and cutting edge experience. I can help ease the pains of the buying or selling process by guiding you through the steps. Whether it's connecting you with the right lender, home inspector, handyman for those undone projects, staging and prepping your home for sale, or helping you find the ideal home that fits your family's needs. Visit my website for more information at christyy.remaxagent.com. Go Camels! Step into a quality home you'll value for a lifetime. Perfect for your family at every stage. Mattamy Homes focuses on what you value most with different designs, styles, and finishes crafted to work within your budget. That's why we're ranked first in quality, value, and customer satisfaction. But we don't just build homes. We create communities with instant appeal and enduring value. See what we're building around Raleigh, places you'll be proud to call home. Visit mattamyhomes.com and see for yourself. Sure, McDonald's breakfast is good. But getting that McDonald's breakfast two minutes before it stops being served, that tastes even better. Step into a quality home you'll value for a lifetime. Perfect for your family at every stage. Mattamy Homes focuses on what you value most with different designs, styles, and finishes crafted to work within your budget. That's why we're ranked first in quality, value, and customer satisfaction. But we don't just build homes. We create communities with instant appeal and enduring value. See what we're building around Raleigh, places you'll be proud to call home. Visit mattamyhomes.com and see for yourself. Since 2019, the Fighting Camel Club has funded championship-level facility projects such as the Eeks Athletics Complex renovation for Camel Soccer and a new strength and conditioning space inside Gore Arena. This fall, your Fighting Camel Club donations will fund a new sports medicine facility, a new locker room for women's basketball, and a new digital media lab for athletes to work on their personal brands. Providing championship resources for Campbell student-athletes. That's the mission of the Fighting Camel Club. For more information, go to GoCamels.com and click on the Give button. Planning a tailgate? Then it's bow time. Bojangles has everything you need for the perfect tailgate, no matter how many fans you're trying to feed. There's the original tailgate, the super tailgate, and for a really big crowd, the jumbo tailgate special. And if you like your chicken off the bone, choose the Supreme's tailgate special that includes 12 perfectly seasoned tenderloin fillets. So grab the tickets, get that Bojangles tailgate special, and go. It's bow time.
Welcome back to Camel Call Live. We are live from the county seat in downtown Lillington, North Carolina with Mike Minter. I'm Chris Saymeyer. Stan Cole coming up in the second half hour, but we welcome into the stage for the first time this year. He is the assistant head coach here at Campbell, the special teams coordinator as well in Stephen Williams, and, and coach Josh McNeely. Your returner is the special teams player of the week. Four kickoff returns for a total of 104 yards. We've got a lot of special things to talk about in these special teams, but your thought as one of your guys captures a Big South Conference award for the second straight season. Uh, it's, uh, it's an honor. Honestly, we take great pride in it. Um, and the thing about Josh and the rest of the guys in the special teams unit, um, that's the last of their concerns. You know, we're looking to get better and improve and, and make sure we're a net positive in a victory, you know, week in and week out. But uh, Josh is a, a tremendous young man, a tremendous player who, who does anything that's asked of him in the return game, in the coverage game, kickoffs and punts, whatever it is to, to help the team. A dynamic athlete, um, you know, plays much bigger than his size and is a true asset to the program. And it's one of those things, you have really given him the green light. There are a lot of times that he catches that ball with his heels to the goal line where he catches five yards back. A lot of other special teams coordinator going, all right, man, take a knee, but but you have all the faith in the world in him, and, and he ran it out of the end zone and got you guys good field position a couple times. And that starts with, um, with the head man who, who instills that faith in me to instill in the players, um, you know, it's, it's nothing that's taken lightly. It's something we talked about before, you know, throughout the week. And we know what we have in McNeely. He's a special player, and the guys know as well. So the effort on the kickoff return unit, the guys who don't get credit, you know, when Josh gets these awards, the people who are blocking for him, uh, they understand that he just needs a, a sliver of daylight, and they're working tirelessly day in and day out to make sure they provide that for him. So it gives us the confidence to say, hey, Josh, you know, if you feel good, uh, go ahead and, and take it out. And then – will be smart situationally sometimes. It's a fair catch, sometimes take a knee, whatever it is. But, again, he's a smart player. He's very conscientious about how his plays affect the team as a whole. So he won't do anything for his own self, you know. It's always going to be, can this help the program? Can this help the organization right now in this moment? If not, then we'll make the smart play. Tell me about those guys that usually don't get the headlines. You have the guys that are blocking, and then you have the guys, too, on your, on your special teams defense side of things who are trying to get the opposing team's returner. These are guys, some guys that you know, they're guys that go right back out there, play offense or defense, and some guys that that's the only time they're on the field. It, it, it's a crazy mix in a, in a football team, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's something that um, when Coach Miller elevated me that I wanted to, to make sure it's important to instill a culture of special teams within the culture of our program. And obviously it helps when your head coach is a former special teams coordinator um, that it trickles down. So not just to me, but to all the coaches and all the players. And so you get guys like Alex Santiago and Xavier Kane who have played for me since they were freshmen. You know, they were walk-on freshmen who understood that this is the way I can get on the field. This is the way I can, you know, I can make the bus. And when their teammates see that success and see how bought in they are, well, everybody is. Because you can, you can wait for your time just to play offense or defense, or you can play 30 reps for me. And 30 reps is a lot of reps in the game. It's a lot of reps. And people start to realize that, and now everybody's bought in. But, again, it's a top-down mentality. And that's where, you know, the row came from. It's just a culture. It's, a, you know, we're, we're getting down to lay down. You know, everybody's bought in, and we take on all comers. Anybody who shows me during the week that they can work, that they can play, they can help, contribute, they'll get a shot. They'll get a shot. And then guys want to play football. 
that's why they're here. That's what, you know, they want to be football players and contribute and help win. And we recognize within the program everybody. So the world may not know it, but our guys in our building, everybody understands that if you do something great on special teams, you're going to get rewarded for that because it's important. There's three phases to the game, and, and those 30 plays or so we have a game, you know, contribute and just as much as offense or defense. So this is week in and week out. If there's a guy on practice that could be buried in the depth chart, if he has an amazing week of practice and shows you what you want to see, you'll put him on your special team He'll team. He'll get on the field. And I'm a man of my word. And I'll, yep. and I'll find that guy. I'm like, hey, you know, this is your rep. Um, the Citadel is Melvin Davis, who came in the spring. It was, you know, off campus, walked yep. on tryout, and just worked tirelessly. And everything we asked him, well, hey, Melvin, you know, we're going to open the season, you're going to play. And he got a tackle in that game. You know, it's somebody like Ty Good who, you know, who was a scout team running back who just continued to work. It's like, all right, Ty, I need a gunner. You know, go play. I mean, Josh McNeely, we know him now, but, I mean, Josh McNeely's been in this program yep. for a while. You're right. And finally, hey, you know, maybe you can return. Okay, maybe you can cover kicks. I mean, it's Jeremiah Brown. It doesn't matter if you're scholarship. It doesn't matter if you walk on. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It matters your love and passion for the game, for this team, because it takes a lot of sacrifice. And that's one thing that we preach within special teams is you have to sacrifice because, guys, Caleb Dowden's going to get the recognition as the kicker. Josh McNeely's going to get the recognition as the returner. Nobody talks about Jackson Hayes. Nobody talks about McKay Taylor, who is the best holder in all college football. And I'll stand, I'll stand yep. by that. I was just about to mention you him. Know, and they take pride in what they do because they know it has an effect. And they're bought into the team, to this culture. And, and that's what's so special about coaching special teams is getting everybody an opportunity to play. You know, everybody be bought in, everybody be um, pointed in the correct direction for the vision this program is headed. Tell me about the row or tell those that are listening and say, okay, you mentioned the row a couple of times. Mm -hmm. You're wearing a row hat. Mm -hmm. you, have more, you have more row gear than I, think, than I think camel gear. Where does the row come from? That is your name for your unit. So the row, uh, my mother raised me on hip-hop in the, in the 90s. So it, <laughs> it, it came from, you know, death row, but we can't say that. Obviously. That's right. Okay. For um, – you know, a record company. A record company. Yes, a record yes, company. Yes, yeah, West Coast right. record company, absolutely. But for, you know, copyright reasons and, and the school <laughs> and whatnot, <laughs> yeah, shortened to the row. But, and seriously, what, what happened was when you know, got elevated, again, we had to institute a culture. And it had to be something that guys could, could buy into and love and enjoy. And that's kind of where it started. You know, it was an old skit with Sugar Knight talking about, you know, if you, you, know, you don't want your – producer all in the video who's talking about Puffy. Well, hey, guys, if your coach ain't giving you a chance over there, linebacker, safety, or corner, well, come on over to me. Yeah. If you work hard, I'll give you a shot. And that's, again, guys start to see they got a chance to play. And, you know, the role is just something they can buy into. You know, they can get a shirt. They can get a hat. You know, I can wear it. They can see it. They can take pride in it. You know, and, um, you know, I'll wear and promote it. And then game time, we put on our Campbell stuff because that's what it's all about. <laughs> you know, but pregame, we got to get them excited. You know, like you, I believe you, you politely called me animated which I appreciate, <laughs> you know, that's a very nice way of putting it. Um, but, again, special teams, are something you never know when you're going to go on the field. Yep. You're only guaranteed the beginning of the game getting the half. So it's just keeping those guys locked in and bought in from when their time is called, when their number is called, being ready to perform. And that's just a mindset thing. And, and that's what we want to instill, that mindset, that culture, so guys can come out here and, and perform and compete at the highest level. Coach Minner, I've talked to a lot of your coaches over the year. I've not heard a, a, a special teams coordinator be able to produce. He, he's talking to me like a head coach in the unit. And that what, what is so special about him? Well, I think you hit it. Um, Steve understands how to build culture. He understands um, how to keep people accountable to it and build trust within his 
personnel, and that's really what head coaching is all about. It's about relationships. It's about people, and that's what he does. He he understands people. He understands how to motivate them. He understands how to put people in the right position so they can be successful. And um, you'd have heard all the different ways he he's motivating guys to want to play special teams. If you can make people play special teams or want to play special teams, you can be a head coach. And and um, you know this this is um, you know the next man up and and you know just does a great job of, of really helping me. Um, continue to try to build this program to be a powerhouse, and that's really what it's all about. How do you convince a guy that uh, has a degree from Harvard and another degree from Penn State and was working for the Detroit Lions to come and work for you in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina? Well, hey, that's a question for him. I don't know what I did to <laughs> to um, get blessed for the, with, with all that, but I remember the first day um, that I met him and, and um, you know, knowing that, of course, he played at Harvard and, and, and got a degree from there and, and just came from the league. Um, you know, once you got that shield on you as a coach and as a player because he got a chance to do it as a player for, for a while there at, at, at corner, man, we all breathe and, and think the same. We, we, we all live the same. It's, it's just something about the shield and everybody having the opportunity to do that. So um, it was instant connection because of that. Um, he has the same desires that I have, and that's dominating people on the football field and trying to win football games, and that's what he does, and that's what he brings to the table. So it made it easier, um, Chris. I think hopefully that was the connection that got him to buy into, you know what, I want to help Coach Minner build his program and become part of it. Coach Williams, how did he how did he convince you? So, I was working in, uh, in Detroit with a, a guy named Peyton McCollum, yep. who used to work yep. under Coach Mint. Um, we were both quality control coaches, and you know our contracts were running out, and said you know they're looking for somebody down there. And we both love Coach Caldwell. Coach Caldwell is one of the best coaches, one of the best yep. human beings I've ever been around. And he'd say Coach Minner is in the same vein as that. Well, you know that's all I need to hear. Yeah, I, I knew who he was as a player from Nebraska um, and Panthers. Okay, cool. You know, this guy's coaching now. He's like Coach Caldwell. I mean, I don't need much more than that. Then you get down here and, and you talk to him. And anybody, coach, recruit, uh, administrator, once you talk to Coach Mentor, you're, you're, you're in. You're in. And like you said, almost kindred spirits in football about what we want to accomplish. And then – in life, the conversations we get to have outside of the sport as well, where, you know, you work for somebody, you enjoy going to work. I don't care if it's 5 a.m., I don't care if it's midnight. You know, we're there, and it's never a dull moment because you enjoy who you work for. And understanding, I was like, well, whatever this man wants to build, I want to be a part of that and help him do that. Completely bond the division, and it's just it's pointing the right direction. And I think everybody can see and feel the upward trajectory. And to be able to say that, hey, I was a part of that when I got here in 2019 and see where we are now through the 2020 season, you know, 2021, the rebuild, now where we're going into the CAA, the success we're having this year. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's something that, that we were talking about before. When you're in something you can't really notice, but we're all going to look back and be like, oh, that, was, that was insane. And to get be a part of it is a blessing. I know one of the conversations you guys had last year was, Coach, I need you to go find me a kicker. And you certainly did and found yourself a kicker, Caleb Dowden, three for three on the season. Tell me how, 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 how you found him. We played 
Caleb when he was at Mercer. Yeah, a game that Campbell won. Mm-hmm. Correct, correct. And, and he performed well. Um, he performed well as a kicker and as a punter. He's a lot of value. He's a, he's a mature guy. Um, and we understood that. We've had talented guys in the program, but we're missing just a little something. And he has a mindset about him. And when you talk to Caleb, you know, when you get to know the kid, you understand that he, he gets his, his role. He embraces his role. Nothing's too big for him. He doesn't get rattled if something's not off that day. Every day's not perfect. But you know that when the moment arises, he's going to step up to the plate. And um, he's a tireless worker. You know, I enjoy being around the kid uh, personally off the field, and I enjoy being able to work with him on the field. Uh, again, you know, a beauty of, like it's talked about with the staff, Coach Minnan and the staff, with the players we have in the program. What Coach has done a great job of is getting the right players in here. Because it's much more than having talent. Everybody's got talent. It's college football. That's the beauty of it. It's parody. Everybody's got talent. But getting the right people in place who you know are going to work every day, like you talked about with Julian Hill. Caleb Downs like that. Not the same physical match, but, you know, <laughs> in, in their approach and, and their craft. That's what it is. And so what everybody saw at the Citadel is what we've been seeing since he got here. And so we have confidence in, okay, hey, we go out there, you know, put the ball down, put it through the uprights, put points on the board. One more guy we'll talk about, and we could we could go through and pick out so many guys. You mentioned Alex Santiago. What what an uh, the amazing story he is. We seem to call his name every mm-hmm. every single game. But Corey Peterson, mm-hmm. an Aussie who was at Austin P, and now has come to you. You know he he doesn't put an eighty yard boot into it all the time, but my goodness, can he drop it inside the twine? He comes up big when we need it. Yep. We go back to Gardner Webb last year. Hanging up on a, we're down, we need, a, we need a play. Similar to William & Mary, okay, we're down. Okay, we need a score, give us a boot. You know, we understood that Kalen Newton for William & Mary is a, is a really good returner. He's going to take some chances. If we get a good ball with good coverage, we'll be able to take advantage of it. And Corey is very locked into that. He's locked into the protection. He's locked into the coverage. You know, he's, he's not just out here, okay, let me punt my ball. Let's go on my day. What can I do to help the team? And – he was somebody at Austin P who, you know, who had talent, but I think just needed somebody to believe in him and instill that in him. And now that he's, he's playing free, there's a trust mm-hmm. with us. You know, he knows that, again, I'm going to hold him accountable. This is the job you have to do, but I know that he can do the job. And, again, another hard worker who takes pride in his craft. Um, you know, he's an asset to the program, a great, great kid who came a long way um, from, from home to be a part of, of something special, and we're glad we have them. One last question before we take a break and come back and talk about, uh, and talk about the, the big challenge at ECU coming up this weekend. One, uh, just two questions. One, is Harvard, is it as cool going to Harvard as I think it is? Two, is it as hard going to Harvard as I think it is? Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> yes and yes. It is a uh, best four years of my life, best decision I made uh, outside of marrying my wife who's out here, Morgan. Um, and more difficult than being married and those yeah. who've been married understand that's difficult <laughs> as well but um both yes and yes I mean, great experience and, and it changed my life for the better uh harvard man and we are so glad he's with us here in Bowie's creek we'll come back and talk about campbell at ecu also have a drawing for uh some of our prizes here for those in the studio audience this is camel call live back after this from the county seat in downtown lillington 
Hi, Campbell fans. I'm Christy Yarbrough with REMAX United. Thinking about buying or selling or know someone who is? Let me help you make the right moves. It's important to work with the right agent with local knowledge and cutting-edge experience. I can help ease the pains of the buying or selling process by guiding you through the steps. Whether it's connecting you with the right lender, home inspector, handyman for those undone projects, staging and prepping your home for sale, or helping you find the ideal home that fits your family's needs. Visit my website for more information at christyy.remaxagent.com. Go Camels! I told her I wasn't going to do it. Hey. Here you go, ladies. I got one Sprite and one high seat. Thanks, but we didn't order these. Compliments to the gentleman. <laughs> Thank you. His mom rates them right. Get any size soft drink for just a buck right now at McDonald's. Since 2019, the Fighting Camel Club has funded championship-level facility projects such as the Eeks Athletics Complex renovation for Camel Soccer and a new strength and conditioning space inside Gore Arena. This fall, your Fighting Camel Club donations will fund a new sports medicine facility, a new locker room for women's basketball, and a new digital media lab for athletes to work on their personal brands. Providing championship resources for Campbell student-athletes, that's the mission of the Fighting Camel Club. For more information, go to GoCamels.com and click on the Give button. The Double Quarter Pounder with Cheese. Fresh off the grill. Cooked when I order it and not a moment before. And juicy? Hey, listen, I keep my napkin game up because I'm not trying to have this drip on my drip. Welcome back to Camel Call Live from downtown Lillington. We are at the county seat. We are here every Monday night. Next Monday at 6.30, come and join us. If not, you can listen to us live on GoCamels.com, and we will have a replay of this on the Camel Call Live podcast that drops Tuesdays at noon. One of the awesome things you get with some of our unbelievable people that have been here for every Monday and if you come, and even if you just come for one time, you get a chance to get into drawing. We've got tickets and uh, a limited edition T-shirt and a couple of cups. So I'll do that limited edition T-shirt now. The winner has the number 625-518-625-518. We got a winner over there and now for the tickets that'll be good for any of the remaining four games remember you can guarantee uh your ticket to our remaining four home games october 1st october 8th october 15th and november 12th go to gocamels.com you can get a four game season ticket package or single game tickets but you will get your ticket four tickets to your game of your choice if you have this number 625 523 625 Five, two, three for the tickets. And we have another winner, that gentleman right there. Go to GoCamels.com or you can call one eight seven seven go humps for tickets. Campbell will be back home October 1st. They have a, a off week at the end of the month. But coming up this next Saturday at 6 o'clock on ESPN+, Plus, Campbell takes on ECU. If you haven't been following the purple and gold this year, they should be ranked in the top 25 in FBS 
They missed a chip shot field goal against top 15 ranked NC State in a game that they really, I thought, dominated the Wolfpack in a lot of parts. And, and last week taking care of a Old Dominion team that took down Virginia Tech out of the ACC. I see a top 25 FBS team. What do you guys see when you look at the Pirates? Hey, the Pirates are for real. A great football team. Um, you know, one of the things that, that you got to know is they're going to be tough and they're going to be smart. I think Coach Houston has done a great job of rebuilding that program and, and really, you know, kind of putting them in the frame mind of who he is as a person. And so um, it's, it's really, really good to be able to go against a football team like that. Um, they're going to be great on offense. They got a great quarterback. I think he's been there four years. It'll be his fifth year starting there. Um, the guy's just um, a great quarterback that runs the offense the way that Houston wants their offense yep. ran. And so, um, you know, number two, they're running back. N NC State knew how fast he was. And so they got an opportunity to um, see him. He has elite speed. And so we're going to have to do a great job on defense of trying to contain him. And their defense is, is um, a defense that creates a lot of havoc for an offense. So once again, we're going to face, um, you know, guys who's going to be running around, showing different type of coverages and different type of movements up front. And, um, you know, the, the offensive line got to give Hodge the protection so he can get the ball down the field to our playmakers. And um, so it's going to be a tough one. And, you know, by the way, that number two, he's in the return game. Yeah. So, Coach been talking to me all week long <laughs> about, man, how good he is. And, and I said, well, I already know it. I see him. And, and so we're we going to have to try to contain him um, in the kickoff return game um, that they have with him. And then their, their starting corner is number one, and he's um, back there as a punt returner who, who can really create some problems, too, in that phase of the game. So – um, you know, this would be our toughest challenge, of course, uh, but it's going to be fun because a lot of these kids are from that area. And so we, they get to go back and they get to play these type people that they grew up um, watching at East Carolina, and, and, and now uh, we get an opportunity to play them. So I'm, I'm sure that these guys will be ready. Um, I'm sure they're not going to take anybody lightly, and, and um, they're going to show up and they're going to play great football. And what I told my guys is this, don't look at the scoreboard. What I want us to come out with is, is people saying, Campbell play tough and they play smart. And that's what I want. Coach Williams, when you look at this ECU team, what do you see? I think uh, Coach Minner hit on the head. They are, they're tough, they're physical, and they're dynamic. Um, and those are, those are all things, especially in the special team sense, which you love to have. But these are the games that, you know, we live for as players and our players live for now. We live for as coaches to go put our best foot forward. And, um, you know, Coach Mayer talks about all the time, competitive greatness. That's what we're looking for. We don't like the greatness of our players, competitive greatness and all that we do is a chance to put on display. You know, the, the bell's going to ring and we're going to step up to the challenge. And we understand who they have. Um, and I, I feel like I love being in this position. You know, hopefully they don't make the mistake of taking us lightly in any phase, but we know what the challenge we have at hand is, and especially our guys who've been here who played in the 2020 season. We played for FBS opponents, yep. and, you know, we'll be, we'll, we'll be seasoned for it. And um, there's some guys who had some misconceptions, I think, then, who thought that, oh, you know, it's sweet, we just go play. No, it's a real deal football team we're playing. Well coached in all phases, 
um, experience in all phases. We talked about number two. I mean, he, he was 25 before on all the preseason lists because he showed what he could do, you know, as a young guy. And now he's got that ability and experience. But I love it. Our guys are going to love it. And, um, you know, you're going to see us keyed up, ready to go. Be smart and, 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 and ready to accept this challenge. Does that give you and these players that were here in 2020 some confidence? Of course, for those of you that don't remember that, that COVID fall where Campbell went on the road, they played four FBS programs, four very good FBS programs, and hung with them some till the very end. Again, a two-point conversion would have given you a win against uh, Georgia Southern. But can you lean on that and say, hey, guys, we not only – you know, held our own against these teams, we had a chance to win. Well, I, you know what? It's not going to be a surprise. And I think that's the biggest thing, Chris, when you look at this is it's not something new. We know what it looks like. We know what it feels like. And, and so now we can just go play football. We're not concerned about a FBS program, so on and so forth. Now we can just focus on us getting better and then going out there and competing and having fun playing the game that you've been playing since you've been a little kid. And, and that's really what it's all about. Um, it's, it's us getting better from week to week um, because conference is coming up. And at the end of the day, we got to win conference games to go to the playoffs. And, and um, so everything that we do week in and week out is to get better week in and week out. 1%. And then when we get to conference, we are clicking on all cylinders. That's really the message that I've sent throughout the program um, is that at the end of the day, guys, let's go out there and get better from the last week. It'll be Campbell at ECU. It'll be something 6 o'clock this Saturday. We hope to see you in Greenville. But if not, you can watch a game on ESPN Plus, and we'll have a live play-by-play -play coverage for you on the Varsity Network app and through GoCamels.com. The Bojangles countdown to kickoff starting at 545 for coach Minner and coach Williams we will let them go thank you gentlemen for for coming down here for Monday coach Minner will be back next Monday but coming up after the break a treat we've got our associate athletics director for communications Stan Cole the alum who has been here for over 30 years in that position he will tell us about his new podcast tales from the creek that's coming up after the break as we are live on camel call live from the county seat We're no etiquette experts, but biting into your McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich and ending up with a whole pickle slice dangling from your mouth isn't impolite. It's human. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Hi, Campbell fans. I'm Christy Yarbrough with Remax United. Thinking about buying or selling or know someone who is? Let me help you make the right moves. It's important to work with the right agent with local knowledge and cutting edge experience. I can help ease the pains of the buying or selling process by guiding you through the steps. Whether it's connecting you with the right lender, home inspector, handyman for those undone projects, staging and prepping your home for sale, or helping you find the ideal home that fits your family's needs. Visit my website for more information at christyy.remaxagent.com. Go Camels!
Step into a quality home you'll value for a lifetime. Perfect for your family at every stage. Mattamy Homes focuses on what you value most with different designs, styles, and finishes crafted to work within your budget. That's why we're ranked first in quality, value, and customer satisfaction. But we don't just build homes. We create communities with instant appeal and enduring value. See what we're building around Raleigh, places you'll be proud to call home. Visit mattamyhomes.com and see for yourself. Sure, McDonald's breakfast is good. But getting that McDonald's breakfast two minutes before it stops being served, that tastes even better. Welcome back to Camel Call Live here in downtown Lillington. It has been a long time since Campbell has been at home. They'll go at East Carolina. They will be uh, have a off week with no games, and then they come back and get ready for some football. Three straight Saturdays in October. We'll have football at Barker Lane Stadium October 1st at 6 against NC Central. Homecoming is a 4 o'clock start on October 8th against Charleston Southern. Robert Morris comes in a conference game at 1 o'clock on October 15th. GoCamels.com, 1877-GO-HUMPS. You can secure your seat, the best seats, the same seats. We have a four-game ticket package that is still available, and also, of course, um, any individual game tickets you can get. But we are happy to have with us uh, the man that knows the Division I history of Campbell and then some better than anyone because he's been there through the Division I history of Campbell, and, and he's a young man. He is Stan Cole, and he is our Associate Director of Athletics for Communication, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, his new podcast, Tales from the Creek. But, but first, Stan, we, we talk about this a lot, but you were a student here at Campbell in the 80s. You started working here uh, at Campbell soon after, and you have really, really, really seeing the transformation. When, when you think back of what Campbell was athletically and as a university and what it is now, how do you wrap your head around that? You know, Chris, it's something we talk about uh, a lot. And um, it's, you know, w uh, perspective is, a, uh, is, is hard, to, hard to wrap your minds around it, like you say. But the, just the growth, the, um, the commitment that the university's made uh, to having not only a solid sports program but a very good sports program and then I, I truly believe that the growth of the university and the growth of the athletics department as a result um, comes from to the growth in the region um, the the people coming down and and uh, you know certainly the foresight to start up a football program in 2008 that same fall we moved into a gorgeous arena uh, and then the high schools graduate in and they play a tournament in there and, and it's really, really um, helped propel us um, uh, into the community uh, and, uh, and give people in the area something great to do to see a high level of college sports right around the corner rather than having to drive an hour and sit in traffic and all that other kind of stuff too. So it, it's just been really special to be a part of. Stan, you make a, you make a great point. Nobody saw it or nobody said it out loud, but when the decision was made to bring back football, of course, Campbell having a football program from 1925 through 1950, a couple of years off because of 
of the wars there. But, but when that was brought out, a lot of people thought, my goodness, that's an idea that, 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 that may not work. How is this going to work? And where you see it now 15 years later going into this, the CAA, it has worked. Well, without a doubt, Chris. I mean, honestly, full disclosure, uh, coming out of high school, Campbell was one of the ch uh, choices that was um, given to me. And I told my folks, I'm not going to Campbell. They don't have a football team. A year later, I ended up at <laughs> yeah. Campbell, um, and a few years later, they uh, I guess 25 years later, they ended up adding a football team. So eventually, if you <laughs> stick around somewhere long yeah. enough, it'll happen. But there's nothing like college football Saturday. And to stand on top of that press box like I do most every Saturday, and just I go up there for a moment, and I just look around, and I see all the campers and all the – the RVs, and I see everybody tailgate, and you get the sights, sounds, and smells of college football, and to see all these people, thousands of people coming to campus on a weekend when back a couple of decades ago when I was in school in the mid-'80s, the place was crickets and, and frogs. Yep. That's all you heard. And so to have people coming back for that event is so special, um, not just to be a part of as an employee, but as a community member. We have had a lot of conversations. I, 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 was telling, I was telling somebody the other day that this Tales from the Creek podcast that had its uh, uh, inaugural episode last Wednesday, and we'll have another one uh, next Wednesday, it's really just uh, what me and you have been doing on the road with basketball for the, for, for the past 10 years, the, the dinners and in the room, me asking you some questions about Campbell, you telling me some things, and us you know, talking about the history of Campbell and me and me learning from you. How excited are you about this about this project? And tell us a little bit about the podcast. Well, everyone in, that walks through the door anywhere has a story to tell. And there's so many special people who have come through the doors and lived in the community. And the one thing that w always was asked to me, and I always asked people when I came, when I first moved to Bowie's Creek in 1983 as a freshman, you know, what makes Bowie's Creek special? And the people will say, the people. And it's true. You know, there's no university without students, without faculty members and staff. And there's so many interesting stories to tell. Literally, people from all over the world, every inhabitable continent, have attended Campbell University. Yep. And we've come, come in touch with folks like that that have just different, similar or different stories to tell. And it's just really, really cool to find out what makes some people tick um your first episode uh, rusty scarborough who if you if you know that name you know that has been intertwined in practically the dna of of campbell forever but it in that in that episode that that you can get on the camel call uh podcast you can get on spotify you can get on apple you can get on youtube and it's at gocamels.com but when we go back to the fact that you know Rusty and Campbell really brought soccer to this area. You think North Carolina, you think soccer. It wasn't always that way, and especially in this area, it wasn't that way. Absolutely. Rusty moved here in 1970, was in the fifth grade, and um, started picking up the game. His two younger brothers, Marty and Scotty, played. Um, his father, Todd, and mother, Elva, ran Service Enterprises, which was the multimedia conglomerate on, on campus. Todd was a former UPI uh, photographer. And uh, Rusty went to Bowie's Creek School, which at the time was 1 through 12. 
uh, <laughs> grades. There was no kinder public kindergarten in 1970. It was private kindergarten. So, um, and he was coached by Barry Howard, who was a, a, a player on Campbell's second team, eventually was a longtime assistant coach, head coach for a couple of years. But Barry coached everything. He was the coach of every sport they had at Bowie's Creek. There weren't enough students to have football, so Barry started up soccer. There weren't enough teams around the counties to um, have opponents, so Barry, early on, before Rusty got there in the 60s, Barry would take his, uh, some of his players around to some of these other small schools, some of which don't even exist anymore, and teach them the game of soccer so they'd have a team to go play. Uh, they became a powerhouse uh, through the 80s, uh, Hornet Central High School after the consolidation. Uh, the area became a, a, um, a, a statewide powerhouse. They couldn't get past the Raleigh teams in the Eastern Regionals, but they still uh, sent great players um, into, the, into the college realm. Some of those played at Campbell, like Rusty, Scotty, and Marty Scarborough, uh, Scott Carpenter. Tony Johnson from Bowie's Creek went on to play at Carolina. He's in the North Carolina Soccer Hall of Fame, played professional soccer. So uh, Rusty was really kind of on the forefront of that uh, in this area and, and playing. He was in the last Bowie's Creek, uh, Bowie's Creek School High School graduating class of 1977 and then played at Campbell and launched into a four-decade coaching career. So where was that school building located? It's where the elementary school is. If you can imagine grades 1 through, one 12, through 12. Right. And even <laughs> when I was in school in the, in the, in the early 80s before uh, Harnett Central Middle opened, it was, one, it was uh, K through 8 at that time. Wow. It right. seems small for an elementary school now. Well, you know, it was a small, a small yeah. campus. And so many of the schools that you would see, Coates um, and uh, Boone Trail, they were all one through 12. It was the, you, you lived in your community and you went to the community school for the entire time. So this whole area has changed so much in the last 30 years um, and 40 years since, um, since Rusty graduated. And it, it's just, um, you know, been kind of transformational through the whole process. Being a part of this athletic department, this community, this university for, for over 30 years now as a, as a student and then um, as a member of the staff, You've seen ups, you've seen downs, you've seen everything in between. What are a couple of your best memories of, of your time here with Campbell Athletics? Well, you know, Chris, I mean, the easy things to do are kind of to point to some of the high notes as far as competition's concerned. I mean, you know, obviously everybody was so excited when we played uh, Duke in the NCAA basketball tournament in 1992. Uh, other times um, <coughs> when – you know, the team, uh, baseball team won its first regional game in 2014, uh, made its first regional appearance in 1990. Um, you know, there's just, there's a lot of those kind of uh, high notes, those high points. But for me, it's, it, there might be different purposes, times where you might have shared an experience with someone um, or gone through something with somebody and, and uh, you know, certainly the David and Goliath games, you know, we've, uh, I've been at, men's basketball wins over NC State, South Carolina, Iowa, and Auburn. You know, um, we've beaten some other teams that are very good as well, uh, made some memorable trips. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think, again, it's the, it's the times where you get to be around the people. Um, I'll never forget Barry Howard. He was, um, he was in his last days um, suffering from cancer 2008. Uh, the men's soccer final was in Bowie's Creek and it was the last game he ever saw. 
And um, that one sticks with me uh, a whole lot. Uh, other times stick with me maybe for kind of some of the funny reasons or whatever. Yeah. And we lived in a um, small apartment uh, on the other side of the elementary school um, uh, 20 years ago and uh, or more. And uh, we had a golden retriever. And we were playing NC State on the opening baseball uh, series of the of the year. And our former assistant AD, Ricky Ray, was a freshman student assistant of mine. And somehow my dog heard the, the PA and something going on, and he thought it was a good idea to go run onto the <laughs> baseball field. And so sometime during the game, uh, I, I look up, and there's Charlie, our golden retrievers, running around short right field. Scott Jackson, who is now the head coach at Liberty, was playing second base that day. He's out there trying to wait, flag Charlie down. And, of course, Ricky, as we all know, Ricky, um, always had that biting wit. Ricky goes into just leans into the microphone and says and announces while I'm sitting right next to him in the press box he says Stan Cole please get your dog off the field <laughs> I mean th things like that happen <laughs> yeah. in small towns and um and those are those are just great uh, moments like that and and little little things you think of and, and it doesn't have to do with a win or a loss or things like that but it's the people you come across you you've had opportunities to 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 go elsewhere um to to, to different schools to different careers and everything like that why Campbell for now decade number four for you? Well, number one, um, it's where we've raised our kids. It's our home. My wife, Claudia, um, has put up with I don't know how many hours of, of late nights and weekends and, and me being away. Um, but this has been a this has come to be home for us. Um, and our children literally know people from all across the world and have relationships with them, not just meeting them, but just from spending time with them on campus and from uh, being around, whether it was in church or, or wherever else in the community. And that's the number one reason. Um, when I was a kid, I used to clip out newspaper uh, clippings of the Baltimore Colts and paste them onto a notebook paper and keep little scrapbooks or the uh, sports and things like that and uh, read the minutia uh, out of that, and that's where you had to go get it. You didn't have your cell yeah. phone to look the stuff up. That was the only place. Yeah, and, and so Claudia said not too long ago, um, well, it's probably longer than we think, but she, she said, you know, you're doing exactly what you were meant to do. And, um, yes, there, you know, in college athletics, you do have nights and weekends and some long hours, and, and um, unfortunately your schedule is made for you sometimes. But uh, – to, to live in the community that, we've, uh, that we do and come across the people that we have and the friends and, and uh, neighbors that we, that we have, it's just a special place. And to do it in a place where people care more about the person than about the product. And when you do that, then good things happen. Um, we talked about you with Rusty Scarborough, which, will be, uh, which is the first episode. You're going to be on with Tales of the Creek. Uh, on the podcast uh, every other week. Who do you have coming up next Wednesday? Next Wednesday will be Preston Dodson. He's a great story. Preston uh, came to Campbell in the fall of 2007 as a walk-on basketball player, and he's never left. He's kind of, he's, uh, I, I even left for two years after I graduated, but Preston came in, played um, basketball for a year as a walk-on, was immediately uh, given yeah. a, a scholarship, ended up playing football at Campbell, uh, got his master's degree, started as a GA in the financial aid office. Married a softball student Absolutely. athlete. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and, and uh, it's you know, a fairy tale. He, really. has, he, he has a great Bowie's Creek story. Yeah. You know, they've got three kids now. Um, and 
and he's worked there, and he's, and he's moved his way up. He's, number one, he's a, a great guy. He's a smart guy. He's our director of financial aid now. Um, so Preston's got some great stories to tell, and I look forward to, to diving deep into talking to him. And then I'm just starting to line up some other folks yep. uh, for down, and it's, it's going to be fun. It's just uh, whoever wants to talk about their time, uh, you know, generally you like to get somebody who's been out a little bit, so there's a little perspective. Yeah. But I just like talking to folks about uh, different things, and I, I promise you at some point in time I'm going to get Wanda Watkins on. It might be a three-episode uh, yep. podcast <laughs> because we got a lot to cover. Uh, no doubt. But uh, it, it's it's fun talking to folks and spending time with people and um, and you know and Preston's Preston's one of the better ones that we've had come through here. Well, Stan, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your very busy schedule to uh, to do this project and and for visiting with us tonight. Okay, if you are listening to us right now in whatever podcast form um, you have here, this is where you will find his podcast uh, every other Wednesday and, and what we'll do here if you're listening to this podcast stay tuned after our um, after our uh, outro music I'm going to put on his first episode so if you didn't get a chance to hear it stay tuned here in about 15 seconds you'll be able to hear the full 30 minute episode of the inaugural Tales from the Creek so he is Stan Cole I'm Chris Amar thanks to head coach Mike Minner assistant coach Stephen Williams Campbell is at East Carolina coming up uh, this Saturday at 6. But a lot of sports going on at the Creek. We've had this rare week and a half where there's been no home games. We make up for that. Wednesday, Campbell's men's soccer team takes on VCU at 7. On Thursday, UNCW comes in to take on the women. And volleyball finally at home this weekend at the Fairfield Inn Dunn Invitational. The volleyball team will play at 6 on Friday, 11 and 6 on Saturday. GoCamels.com has all the information for you, but sports back in the creek this weekend, football at ECU. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week, Monday at 6.30 on Camel Call Live. My name is Stan Cole. Welcome to a new project we are really excited about called Tales from the Creek. I'm a Campbell graduate, class of 87, and have worked at Campbell University for more than 30 years. In Tales from the Creek, I'll be visiting with people who have made this place special over the years. 2022 marks the 60th season of Campbell men's soccer. An NAIA powerhouse in the 60s and 70s, my first guest was a member of Campbell's first NCAA Division I team in 1977. His playing career launched him into a four-decade-long coaching career. I'm delighted to be joined by Rusty Scarborough. Welcome, Rusty. Rusty, let's start by just uh, going back uh, and uh, when your uh, a little background, uh, if you will, about uh, when your family moved to Bowie's Creek. When, when was that and what was it like growing up in, in the creek? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you, Stan, for having me on. Um, I think this is an awesome opportunity for Campbell to promote themselves through the past, right? And look forward to being a part of that. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, we, we moved here in January of 1970. Mm -hmm. um, I was in the fifth grade, so it was a long time ago. Uh, you know, Campbell, for us, for me, really bought – brought a sense of family you know to to myself i felt very comfortable from day one 
you know, it's sometimes it's very difficult for young young kids and even teen, teenagers, especially, to to make a move. But for us, you know, we had there was uh, three boys, and and then we had Bennett, our younger brother, came along later. But um, you know, it was really a very easy transition because it was small town environment. Um, it was a family that that went across campus, you know. So I, I went to Boys Creek Elementary School. And was the last class to graduate from Boys Creek High School mm-hmm. uh, back in '77, but uh, the the people in this community were very open armed, uh, brought us in, treated us well, um, and we felt like we were part of the Campbell family from day one. Your folks, Todd and Elva Scarborough, ran Service Enterprises, the multimedia. Um, conglomerate, so to speak, of, of mm-hmm. Campbell University. Your dad was a UPI photographer, and your mother oversaw everything from printing to uh, uh, the, the secretarial pool and, and all sorts of, uh, of communication efforts, um, audiovisual uh, through the area. How did um, having that kind of access to the community, I'm sure you were, uh, you, you tagged along on some assignments every now and again. Yeah, I mean, they, they were pretty busy, obviously, trying to get that off, off and running. Um, and we were, you know, we had the luxury of traveling with Dad some on some of his, uh, you know, photography shoots and things like that. But more importantly, we were kind of, we were on campus daily, you know, mm-hmm. running around, walking around, uh, which made us feel more comfortable in, in this environment and in, in this community. Um, did you play soccer before you came here, or how were how were you introduced to the sport? No, never even thought about soccer until we moved here. Um, so, like I said, I was in the fifth grade. Started playing soccer actually in the eighth grade, mm-hmm. um, and then you know, on on the team, Bowie Creek High School, and and then went through the high school environment. Couple club soccer wasn't really big at all back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, my senior year, it kind of developed across the state a little bit, more like, um, for lack of a better word, all-star teams were mm-hmm. created. Uh, so I had that experience my last year in high school, but really started playing in the eighth grade and never looked back. Yeah, I loved it. Right. Yeah. Who who introduced you to the game? Who were your coaches and um, and mm-hmm. some of the other guys that you played with? Yeah, uh, well, Barry Howard was by far, you know, probably the most impactful person in my coaching life. Uh, I learned a lot from him, not just about the game of soccer, but, you know, just about how to how to be a player and how to be a coach, really, at a young age. But he was very uh, instrumental in kind of how I've developed into a person and a coach. Um, players, you know, Tony Johnson, my brothers. I had, I had two brothers, mm-hmm. Scotty. Scarborough and Marty Scarborough, uh, we all played together, which um, you know I think we'll, we'll discuss in a minute. But you know, other players in this area, David McKnight was a very good player. Tony Johnson was younger than me, but ended up being really good and played professionally. Um, and you know, Donald Mangum, people like that. There's different families, right? So the Mangums had three boys. Uh, the Johnsons had, gosh, three or four boys that played. So it was all kind of. Um, it, it was, like I said, it's, it was a family. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Barry, um, before he passed away, he always loved telling the story of how he came to find soccer. And his senior year of high school, he watched the first game Cam- Campbell ever played at um, 
in Bowie's Creek at Old Taylor Field next to the, the old First Baptist Church where his dad was the pastor. And, and he fell in love with the game there and then went to Campbell the next year and started playing soccer and, and turned that passion for the game into a coaching um, experience. And from what I understand, as the way he told it and relate it, is that he would take players from Bowie's Creek School and go around to other small communities to teach the game so they would have more players, more teams to play against. Um, did he have that kind of soccer evangelism uh, feel about him when, when uh, he was coaching you uh, as, a, as a young player? Yeah, for for sure. Um, luckily for me, when when I started playing, especially getting into the high school level, uh, he had already uh, planted that seed across the county and and across the state. Uh, so there was, you know, not so much of that happening with me. Uh, that was more with the Tony Farrell, Mike Farrells of mm -hmm. the world, um, uh, that really had a big part in growing the game of soccer uh, in this community and especially in the state of North Carolina. Um, but he, you know, he would always talk about th this is the initial stages, right, in, of, of this game that's going to grow over the next 30, 40 years, which who would have thought it would be like it is now. Um, but he, he, he had a vision. He wanted this game to, to really grow and mature into a special uh, piece of people's lives. Sure. So many, um, there's so many instances where you grow up and you've got a family and multiple siblings and you're scrapping and playing and always together. Was it just kind of a natural thing that uh, when y'all moved here, that all three of y'all started playing soccer? And, and what was that, what was that like uh, with you and Marty and, and Scotty? Yeah, I mean, I, I well, I think, you know, being in a small community, there was only a couple sports that were here, right? The right. Baseball, basketball, we didn't have football. American football, so it was it was soccer, basketball, and baseball, um, and you know I, I think you know soccer was in the fall, so it was it was just a, an easy transition coming out of middle school, going in, into playing playing that sport, and uh, it was so much fun to have two brothers on on those teams in high school and, and even at Campbell University, mm -hmm. right? Um, you could talk to my mom, but she she probably was very appreciative. To, travel to Maryland and see all of us play instead of going to three different places. But um, it was it was a tremendous – I mean, it was, a, it was a tremendous opportunity for me to be able to be around my brothers on the field as well as off the field, but on the field and have that uh, enjoyment of growing a team together. Sure. Yeah. Rusty, you were on the first Division One team here at Campbell in mm -hmm. the fall of 1977 and over your uh, – four and a half year career with the with the team um were able to play all by the, your final year all three of you were on the team uh you and um, marty both had some injuries that made you miss a season or red shirt or something like that but um how have you seen the game of soccer grow or college soccer in particular from those early division one days for campbell back in the in the late 70s to now here in, in 2022 yeah, I mean, before Division One transition, you know, the NEIA, Campbell was, I mean, top eight, top ten in the country all the time for years, years over years. But uh, so that transition was a, it was a tough couple of years, you know, to to for co for coaches to get them to be able to recruit the right players, right, to to go take that step to Division One. I. I think we did a great job of planting the seed, planting the foundation. 
Uh, we struggled with wins that first year, first couple years, really. Uh, but it was more so just changing the competition level and playing the, playing the navies of the world instead of uh, someone else. So, um, you know, I've, I've seen Campbell soccer evolve over the last 40 years to where it is now, which is top 25 in the country. Sure. You know, um, you know, back in back in the seventies, you know, the recruiting base was really the northeast. I would think, um, you know, from New York down. In the eighties, it actually got into Georgia and Florida a little bit more, uh, but really northeast bound players. And I've said this many times, but ninety five is a great corridor for <laughs> recruiting if you have a university close to that. So I, I think that helped. And, and coaches, you know, we had some transitioning coaches early on from Division One. Uh, those first five, five or six years, uh, and then you, you know you get co you get coaches like Derek Leeson, mm -hmm. right? Did a tremendous job, uh, really taking that big step. Barry Howard, before Derek, you know, um, you know, taking this, taking a little bit, couple small steps, but then Derek took some big steps forward with us, uh, with the recruiting, right? Got more, some international players, more more international players, would help, which helped. Um, you know, Doug Hess was awesome, you know, coming in and did a tremendous job. And now, you know, Dustin Fonder's just off and running with it. So I think it's been a, it's been a, the first couple of years were very, we took baby steps, right, in the Division One level mentality. Mm -hmm. um, the university supported every, the program and backed it, and that continues to grow. Uh, they have their own stadium now. It's tremendous, right? Back in the day, I played it. Half the half the game was on the uh, infield <laughs> of a baseball uh, stadium. So it was baseball and soccer. So it was it's, it's evolved and it's um, it's been a tremendous enjoyment for me to watch it change year to year and get better and better and better. Sure. Yeah. Your your senior year, Tim Morse came in, mm -hmm. um, and Tim was one that um, was with us from '81 uh, through the '86 season before he decided to. Uh, uh, make a career change and entered Campbell Law School and practiced uh, law for three decades before he retired. Um, looking at that 1981 team picture, you mentioned the uh, recruiting corridor from up and down I-95. You had Mike Little from Miami and and the guys from up in New York, but you also had you know David Nisbet and Mike Griffin from over across uh, in uh, Scotland and in uh, England, and. Um, in my time in Bowie's Creek, I've always felt like this is a crossroads for the world, mm -hmm. uh, with especially with uh, international students coming, uh, and but even more so now the influx of international athletes in almost every sport that Campbell offers. What was it like, you know, being the Bowie's Creek guy, and then all of a sudden these accents and these different cultural influences uh, uh, converge? Uh, what did you learn from that? Well, first of all, it changed it changed my mentality of the culture of the of the sport. You know, um, I, I had the luxury to travel when I was a senior in high school. Like I said, with the, uh, a club team or a team combined of players across the state abroad, and and the mentality abroad for soccer is a whole lot different than it was here back in the seventies and eighties. Uh, you know, you're, you're in your community and you live and breathe the game, right? So having that part of uh, that influx of, you know, Nisbet from Scotland, Philippe Botan mm -hmm. from, from Belgium. Was, all those guys stayed at my house. 
right? Mm-hmm. My mom, it was, my mom was their mom when they were here. So, um, they brought a they brought a different level of tenacity, culture, experience, uh, what the game means across the world uh, to us, which helped all of us grow. Certainly. What um, what were some of your early soccer influences? Obviously, you've you've mentioned Barry Howard earlier, but some of the earlier, uh, whether it was a coach or another player, what are some of the those early influences that? Um, uh, grew the game for you and helped you develop as a player and then decide to get into coaching? Yeah, well, first of all, it would be Barry Howard, um, you know, because I was in the, the high school stages of my life, so looking to have someone to follow and look up to um, outside of your home, right? Right. Uh, was was tremendous. He and he, he, did, he did a great job with, with all of us with that. So he was he was very important. In, and, you know, me molding – myself in my career uh, into something that I'm, I'm pretty proud of um you know michael parker i uh, you know at unc greensboro i had the luxury of being his assistant for five years uh what a different mindset great great um soccer brain right i learned so much with him on a different different way um you know so those two guys probably in, in the game of soccer had a big influence on me uh, to, to kind of help mold who I am. You know, <laughs> quick quick story, but, you know, I retired last, last we announced it last January mm-hmm. uh, 22. In February of 22, I had to go to Las Vegas to represent the Charlotte Independence Soccer Club at the ECNL Symposium. So room of 200 coaches, presenters speaking, big um, – TV monitors with the uh, you know what they're talking about presenting and on on the on the on the board on the up front, and I'm I'm standing up taking pictures, right? So you're always going to get you're always trying to evolve as a coach. You're always trying to learn from somebody else, and I've retired a month before that, and I'm taking pictures of what's on the board, <laughs> you know. So it's it's just that's how that's the nature of the sport, nature of the profession. Now, every if you're a coach and you want to be somebody. You're going to always pick something up every day, every week from someone else. So uh, there's, I could talk about many people, you know. Outside of the, the the game of soccer, I mean, administratively, organizationally, how to lead clubs, Charlie Slagle was tremendous for me, tremendous, uh, had a tremendous influence on me. Uh, Jay Howell, which was a, the director, executive director at Castle also, uh, Capital Area Soccer League in Raleigh. And another guy that I had the luxury of being around for four years uh, at IMG Academy was Greg Phillips. Greg is in the athletic director's profession, or was uh, he Oklahoma, Florida State, and then he was a co-managing director at IMG Academy, and he he really formed me into someone off the field, uh, more of a business administrative organization, how to run a business and a program not just a team um so i learned a lot from him and respect him very much yeah. rusty what what made you decide uh, when did you first think uh, that you might get into this this coaching thing that has turned into a four decade career for you yeah i, I always thought i would be a teacher you know i wanted mm-hmm. to always be around athletics and mm-hmm. sports you know i played like i said earlier i played soccer i played basketball baseball you know um 
and started for all those teams in at Boys Creek High School. So I, I was always around athletics and always around sports. So I knew that I wanted to stay in that profession. Um, and I thought I would end up being a teacher. And I taught for eight, nine years, and it just kind of morphed in more of an athletic director type role slash coach and not really teaching. Um, so that's, and that's been great. Uh, but the game of soccer, you know, when I first, my first job out of, away from Campbell was at Oxford Orphanage mm -hmm. and I coached all those three sports, but the soccer was just, it just, I could tell that was it, you know, that was in 83. Uh, that, that was the, that was the sport. I wanted to be just a soccer coach, you know, and not basketball, not baseball, that sort of thing. But, um, and that's kind of how it started evolving every year, a little bit more just specifically with the game of soccer. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you transitioned. You were at Carvance Academy. You've been at Greensboro College, mm -hmm. North Carolina Wesleyan. Um, tell, take us through some of those early stages, what it was like uh, going back and coaching boys and, and then girls. And uh, as, as women's sports uh, came to be to the forefront here in the uh, uh, as the 70s, uh, grew into the 80s and on. Um, what, what were some of your better, your best memories of, of some of those stops that you've made along the way? Yeah, um, well, another Campbell alum, Tony Farrell, uh, got me into the college environment um, at North Carolina Wesleyan, and I learned a lot from him because he had already been there, you know, three, four, five years. Uh, so he he was a, a very, very good person for me, a very good mentor for me at the college environment, recruiting-wise, and um, you know, off the field, taking care of all the the areas off the field as well. So, you know, I enjoyed the college game. I enjoyed the college game, um, but you can only—it's not—it's not like coaching in the college game. I mean, the college game is when I say that it's really it's a short season, right? Mm -hmm. It's not it's not twelve months. It's on the field twelve months. So you're on the field for four months, you know, a little bit over four if you're like Campbell men's soccer here and playing in the tournament, um, and the women's soccer the last couple years ago. So really, I, I really started doing more with the youth, and I enjoy that because that's. You know, you lose a game, guess what? Your next game's tomorrow. Right. <laughs> you don't have to wait six months for another game. So, um, and you can make an impact on, on lives a little bit more and a little bit deeper and um, and more more people, more kids, right? So, you know, over, I've overseen the hundreds of kids at one time. So, um, youth soccer was is my most enjoyable time. I did, lo I did like the college environment. Um, and was lucky enough to be around players and and that that were successful. So it was it was fun. Uh, you know, I think it was not ten years college college coach and seven, no nine years seven of them were in NCAA tournament. So that was good. Um, but the youth game is really, I think, is where it's all. That's where you develop kids off the field, on the field, into total people. Certainly. How does it differ, Rusty? You've coached all ages, both genders. How 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 is coaching different um, age age groups, different skill levels, uh, boys versus girls, men versus women? How how's that? How does that differ? And then how's it different changed since when you got into it in the early '80s to now? 
Well, I think that's that's probably been a positive to be into into the game in the 70s and, and 80s as a coach because you did coach both genders. Um, there's not a, a lot of people out there now that coach both genders, you know, and, I, and to be honest, I enjoy both. Um, you treat them a little bit differently, but you, you coach the same way. It's, it's the game, and, and, and kids re- respect that and, and want that. Um, so, really, the game has evolved so much over the last 40 years, but the game is you – know, I, I really believe you just you coach the game the way it's supposed to be coached, but you treat individuals a little bit different. Sure. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be around some good players, good teams, and – been fortunate to be successful so it's been fun how how's your approach how did your approach change throughout the course of your career is it is it yeah. with what you have to work with the skill level the experience how, how has that changed Rusty yeah I mean I've said it earlier but you know my my philosophy or my uh, DNA has evolved also right you, you have to change um I believe this 100%, and I, I, every club and environment I've been in, I've always had this somewhere in, in a document. Champions are willing and able to adapt. So, <laughs> you know, I could coach uh, 18 kids that have never even seen a soccer ball, or I could coach 18 players that are all-state, all-American type players. Um, you know, the game's the game. It's just how you treat them and, and – and, um, morph them into a team, right, to want to play for each other. So, my yeah, yeah my DNA has changed. Uh, I think early on in, in the 80s I was a little bit – I was hard, um, probably coming from Barry a little bit. So, but, I, you know, I was a little bit more hard. I wasn't a dictator. I was a – I think I was probably like Mike Krzyzewski. Players loved him, mm-hmm. but he was hard. Right. And I, I like to believe that – Kids liked to play for me, but they knew that it was business, right? We also had a good time. Uh, but I've morphed over the years to a little bit different, where it's more uh, – what's the phrase? I'm It's more player – and you know, I want players to bring out the que- – answer the questions. It's not so much about me, given every bit of knowledge that I have. It's more about you solve the problem, right? So it's, it's become that way the last 10 years. Does that um, go along with um, uh, being a parent as well? As you try to, when we're little, we try to take care of them and meet their needs, and then we try to teach them how to to problem solve a- along the way as well. Yeah, problem solve is a good way to good. That's the word I was looking for, but um, I think so. You know, I think being a parent obviously helps you to be a coach because you you know what the kid's dealing with. There, you know, when there's a problem at practice, you've You've probably seen some of that somewhere with one of your kids or their friends. Um, and you're more able to um, absorb what's going on with with a certain player and provide some feedback in a positive way sure. than, than you were if you're not a parent. Rusty, what in, what in your mind makes a good coach a good teacher? Uh, or what, you know, what, what – what what are some of the yeah. attributes that a, a coach or a teacher, a good coach or teacher, might have? Uh, I believe you have to earn your respect, but having the respect of your individual players, um, you know, to be a good coach, a good teacher, you have to be able to communicate. And I really believe com- part of communicating is listening, 
So you have to be able to listen also. Um, for me, with all the different people that we've talked about already, you know, you've got to have the work ethic to, because, it's, you know, it's a 24-7 job. You know, if you're in season especially, you know, you're on the road and you've got 20 kids in a hotel, you're in charge of them. So it's it's a it's a 24/7 job, hard work, the the work ethic, the dedication to the to the sport, and um, and really trying to you're trying to develop kids to become better people, right? And then saying that while you're doing that, you want to win some games because I'm I'm all about winning. There's sure. not one player that's ever played for me that will tell you different. Um, you know, it's just all you know. It's, it's all about winning and being successful, but you can lose and be successful too so failure is not losing right failure is if you quit and that's that's been my kind of go-to comment the last two or three years uh so i think you know really hard work work ethic dedication communication um and just having the respect and giving the respect back excellent you are a Bowie's creek kid so to speak um your wife dana is also a Bowie's Creek kid, daughter of Jimmy and Patty Jung. Uh, Jimmy, a longtime chemistry professor. Patty taught here at the, at the university as well in the music and fine arts area. Um, tough question. Did you have Dr. Jung in college? Uh, was, was he one of your professors? Or? Uh, no, no, I did not. You know, I was in the physical education and health um, department, so I didn't have to cross over to the chemistry department. So that was, for me, that was good. That was a blessing. <laughs> but uh, he was very, he, you know, he's like a dad to me. So he, he, we've known each other, gosh, five, 45, 46, seven, eight years, yeah. So um, tell us a little bit how you and Dana, I mean, obviously, if y'all were growing up in the same area, how did y'all meet and how did y'all's relationship evolve or, or grow over the time? Yeah, we, uh, we based, we've been together since we were 14. Wow. And I was 15, she was 14. So, um, it's, yeah, we've, it's been awesome. We love each other. She supports me. I support her. Uh, she's made me who I am. So, uh, you know, I, I really believe that and appreciate that. Um, it goes back to the first question about, you know, Bowie's Creek living in this area. It's, it's been a good close-knit family, the Jungs and the Scarboroughs, and, and that keeps growing right every year. But, um, you know, we went to college together, Dana. We went, obviously, to high school together, went to college together. Uh, I was the last class to graduate from Woods Creek, so she moved on to Harnett Central. And then I was a freshman at Campbell. But uh, we stayed together. We were together the whole time. And, you know, year after we gradu graduated, we'd get married, and, you know, we keep going on. So it's been fun. That's awesome. Um, y'all, you mentioned y'all uh, recently moved back to Bowie's Creek, um, and uh, you touched a little bit about going after you announced your retirement, you go to a symposium and you're still taking notes. How are you staying in touch with a game that's been so much a part of what you've done now that you don't actively or, or, or have, a, have a team that you're coaching right now? I mean, is that mm -hmm. still part of your daily routine to check in on that? Um. I check in on the kids that I had the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with the staff and the staff. So we stay in contact all the time. They opened the season this past weekend at a event in Greenville, South Carolina. And, you know, I was not there. And first time that's happened, right? So that was 
different for me. So I keep in contact with them. They let me know how the kids are doing. You know, obviously families reach out and say, hey, how are you doing, that sort of thing. But really I'm, I'm watching the game. You know, I watch, I'm watching more soccer on TV uh, than I did when I was working, to be honest. Um, and now having the luxury of being in this environment at Campbell, in this community, and people like yourself, I'm able to stay a little bit connected, you know, kicking off with this podcast, but also uh, with the games that are coming up. You know, I'm going to try to step into that arena a little bit as a, as a color commentator. So it'll be fun. As a coach, you've been so busy um, coaching, and in, when you're cl club coaches, you're it's an all-day thing sometimes. And um, but you've watched, you know, thousands of hours of soccer and and some of the uh, broadcasting. What what do you think makes a good broadcast? What do you think uh, goes into that? That um, when you're hearing and sometimes you cringe at what the announcer might say, and sometimes you you. Uh, you think to yourself, wow, that was really a great point. I mean, what are some of the observations you've seen from as you know, the game has grown from a media standpoint in, in the United States here, especially over the last 30 years? Right, right. Um, well, right or wrong, I think, it, you know, may, maybe it's silence sometimes is good, right? So during a game you're commentating or you're, you're helping, you're being a color analyst on – you know, you, sometimes you don't have to say anything. You just let the game kind of evolve. The game of soccer is free-flowing, so it's not going to be a stoppage all the time and play-by-play -play, uh, environment for a commentator. But um, you know, obviously you got to have knowledge, uh, be able to communicate uh, well, well, and be able to kind of see how the, get, the flow of the game is going and how you can interact at certain points, uh, you know, that flow, right, of what's happening on the field. You've you've known both our head men's soccer coach D Dustin Fonder and head women's soccer coach Jeff Gross for a number of year, uh, a number of years. What impresses you about Dustin and Jeff as you've followed their careers and 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 see them grow and, and move here to Bowie's Creek, a uh, place that you hold near and dear? Yeah. Uh, their demeanor, I think both of them's demeanor is is uh, appropriate for the for this level, right? The college level. Um, they they very they communicate well. Um, Dustin does a I mean does a great job of you know I have to be honest I haven't been on the sideline with Dustin many times so I don't really know how that environment uh, carries out. But uh, off the field he's very approachable, very uh, knowledgeable in the game. Uh, does a great job recruiting. Um, players love to play for him. And uh, I think I think his the future is very bright for him, right? It's obviously has been here at Campbell. Uh, Jeff communicates well. Uh, he's more of the problem, let the players solve the problems kind of coach, uh, <clears throat> and then interacts, you know, when he needs to. Uh, and, I, and I know he's you know he he's ready for this environment and ready ready for this jump and be ready to carry this program forward. So I look forward to both. Being around both programs, and, and the question before this was, how do I stay in, involved mm -hmm. with the game since I've been retired? Right. They've really had open arms, and help, and I've been out with them training, and since they, you know, a little bit in the spring, but even now preseason, going out and watching the game, they they've invited me out whenever I want to come out, and that that really helps a lot. It, it just feels like if for the the people listening who've 
don't know when we talk about Bowie's Creek and Campbell University and whenever somebody says well what makes Campbell special what makes this community special the number one answer is always the people mm-hmm. and um and Rusty I can go back and and tell stories about your parents and right when I was a student and and them and coach Wendell and Susie Carr uh, looking after us um, as when we were young people who didn't know what they were where they were going or what they were doing but it, it certainly is the people and I don't know you know you, we look around sometimes and I, I wonder um, you know how special it's going to be for your mom this year uh, to maybe go out to a soccer game and Bennett's down on the sidelines with his big lens shooting the photographs and Scotty and Marty are up in the stands doing what they do and and maybe you're in the booth with us uh, that night and once again the family is together I mean what kind of moment might that be for for your mom this this fall <laughs> yeah I've, um, well, I think it'll be special you know she loves she's she's an athletic person too mm-hmm. uh, as you can tell through us but uh, so I think that'll give her joy right to be around and see her sons also in the same area doing the things that they love to do right um and she'll hopefully she'll be proud but i know it'll take her back 40 years and she'll be very uh excited to have her family all around again right right and 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 you and i both grow we are our kids are 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 grown and and uh, anytime that you get those special little times where everybody's back together it is you know we you realize that it's everybody's got their own schedule and they're going their own way and anytime we can get it together that's great um finally rusty um, you've touched a little bit on this, but can you can you put into words what Campbell University and this community has meant to you in your life? It, um, you know, I, like I said, I came came when I was in the fifth grade, so just a young young boy, right? Didn't know anything about life. Um, being in this environment. And I've been in some big cities since over the last 41 years. So we've we've been able to put our feet on the ground in some big areas. And this, you always come back here, and it's a very comfortable environment. Um, I've been gone 41 years, and there's still people that that come by and say, "Hey, Rusty, Rusty Scarborough, how are you doing?" You know, uh, that you know their kid, their son was maybe one of my friends, or or they were one of my friends back then. You know. It's hard to, to tell each other after so many years, but it's a it's a family environment. It's a very safe environment. It's a very um, culturally enriched environment. I haven't spoken about that, but what, during my time growing up, I mean, we were on campus going to plays and little concerts and, you know, different things that were happening, basketball games, things like that, soccer games um, that were on campus. It just helps you evolve into the person that you are. And Campbell is a big part of my, my DNA, how I treat people, right? How do you, how do you handle situations? Um, I, I think, you know, more times than not at Campbell or at, in this environment, the people that I've dealt with uh, are, very, are more laid back, more able to cope with uh, the stresses of life. Whereas maybe in other areas that I've been, it's, it was a little bit different. So um, it's I'm, we're excited to be back and and hopefully help continue this community moving forward. Well, this is Rusty Scarborough, uh, 
sharing his tales from the creek. And we look forward to uh, our next episode, and we thank you for, uh, for listening. Rusty, thank you for your time, and uh, looking forward to working with you throughout the season and throughout the years here as we uh, continue to cover the Campbell Soccer Program. Thank you, Stan.